Welcome to the No Quarter Podcast. My name is Mike. And my name is Carrington. And this is the podcast where we discuss classic arcade games that are too difficult for Mike and I to play. And this week we're going to be talking about Xevious. Oh, Xevious, how you've beaten me up this week. It's dangerous. It's devious. It's Xevious. <laughs> were you looking at the commercial? I was looking at the, the screenshot of the poster that was saved on Atari Age. Oh, nice. Okay. So, so tell our listeners, what the heck is this Xevious game? Well, according to the MAME history file, uh, Xevious was introduced by Namco in 1982 uh, and licensed in the United States by Bally Midway. Uh, it, seems, it seems like they did a lot of that. Yes. Uh, the cross-licensing, especially to, Ma- uh, to Bally from Namco. Um, but in this game, the, pilot, uh, the player pilots a combat aircraft called the Solvalu. I, I like that pronunciation. Good, <laughs> good as I could do. I was struggling yeah, with it a bit. It's a little odd. Uh, which is armed with forward firing, uh, forward firing gun for aerial targets and bombs for destroying ground-based targets. A red targeting square is situated on the front of the ship, which allows the players, the player, to aim their bombs accurately. The enemy craft appear in a number of different guises, from the standard variety that arrive in large numbers, but shoot slow-moving projectiles to exploding black spheres that shoot projectiles at high speed. There are also rotating shields that cannot be destroyed and must be carefully avoided. Or uh, not avoided, like in my case, slammed into. Uh, I did not even see those. So. <laughs> did you really? The rotating things? Oh. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see those. Ground enemies are a combination of both stationary bases and moving vehicles, most of which are... Uh, most most of which fire slow-moving projectiles. A gigantic floating fortress called Andor Genesis appears in certain areas, um, and this is defeated by knocking out its core. That's obviously the the boss. Yes. Xevious is divided into 16 different areas, uh, of which Mike did not get out of the first one. Oh, did you? Uh, okay. I did better than that, but I certainly didn't see all 16. <laughs> which is separated by an area of forest. If a player dies before if a player dies before less than 70% of an area has been completed, play restarts at the beginning of the same area. Should a life be lost after 70% of an area has been completed, play restarts at the beginning of the next area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, after area 16 has been completed, the game loops back to area 7. Uh, from a technical standpoint, the game ran, uh, it was a, a multi-chip machine. It ran three uh, machi- Z80 chips. Oh, I didn't as, know that. Yeah, as well as an MB88XX, and it had three Namco, uh, let's see, no, it had a, a Namco three-channel WSG discrete circuitry, uh, which the game used to generate explosion sounds. Um, wow, that's pretty high-tech for 82. It was. Video resolution was the uh, 224 by 288, and it, the game had 256 colors. Uh, it was a two-player game. Obviously, uh, it was. you don't play simultaneously. It was uh, one player takes a turn, then the next one. Um, and your standard eight-way joystick with two buttons, one to fire your air gun and one to drop your bombs. That sounds like fun. Let's play <laughs> not, it. <laughs> not as much as you might think, I guess. Well, you touched on a whole bunch of points, I think, worth us us talking about. Um, the mm-hmm. one that grabbed me, first of all, was this idea of a boss. I think this is one of the first arcade games, first coin-op machines to feature a boss. It's the earliest one that I could find. I started thinking of early boss games, and hmm. I couldn't find one published before this. That was a true, you know, you fight a whole bunch of minions, and then you come across a, a boss to fight. So this is, if not the first, it's got to be among the first. So it kicked off that. 
Well, I wouldn't know. I didn't get that far. <laughs> the, the, to the flying fortress. Right. And also, another thing was the resolution. Like, we just talked about that. Like, 244 by 288. Uh, and I think the big deal is... Like, as soon as you said that, I, I thought, is that all it is? Like, again... I'm I'm struck by how much better than that it looks. Like it really looks good to my eye because I I've I've played and also created a bunch of you know vintage computer game software mm-hmm. that uses that kind of resolution. It doesn't look nearly as good as this. But I think I know what the problem is. I'm usually working in palettes, like on the Apple II. I'm working in a palette of like effectively six colors and that kind sure. of stuff. Yeah. And I think it's this massive number of colors available on the low resolution that made the big difference between what you could get in your home and what you could you know pop a quarter into and play. Well, this reminded me very much of uh, the early Nintendo type games, you know, with the, the colored tiles um, and, and movement and things like that. And I should, before we go uh, any further, I should correct myself. Uh, the game was licensed to Atari, not uh, Bally Midway. Oh, yeah. did you say about? Oh, my goodness. In fact, I was thinking Atari when you said, yes. uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just so used to saying Bally, Bally Midway. <laughs> <laughs> you just give him credit. Just, yeah. you know, come on in here, Bally. Right. Um, so the, <clears throat> the overall high score holder, um, his name is Marco Baroni. Uh, the, game, the game record was set on August 16th, 1984, and he scored a whopping 7,009,560 points. That's a lot. Um, it is, but it's not, not, the most, uh, it's not the highest score possible. Apparently, you can actually score 9,999,990. Right. And outside of competitions, like in Japan, where this game was a much bigger hit than in North America, mm-hmm. um, that was not that atypical for people to score that. In fact, there would be competitions not to reach it, but who could reach it fastest. Wow. Yeah. So, um, since we're talking scores... <laughs> <laughs> I bet we didn't reach it. <laughs> no, I, well, I, I'm certain I didn't. How did you do, Um I did okay, but not not fantastic. I had uh, I scored a total of 18,530. Oh, wow. Why, what, how, did you destroy me, or did I beat you? Oh, no, no, I didn't even come close to oh. that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got 7,870 points. Oh, so you didn't even get to the little floating things. No. No, I, I had a hard time with this game because my, I don't know, my ship just, it, it was very sluggish. Don't um, blame your ship. Yes. It's all about the pilot. <laughs> yeah, well, it was frustrating because the ship felt very slow moving around, and I kept, I, I had trouble, I would focus on the ship itself instead of on the little target mm. square, um, and once I learned to, to focus on the target square, then I could do stuff. a little bit better. Well, I did, yeah, but I mean, at least <laughs> I was shooting ships that way, so... Right. Okay. Yes. I found um, the game felt really fair to me. Like every time I would die, I felt like, oh, I could have avoided that. Like there was never once, and I had a lot of games where I did far, far worse than this high score this week. (laughs) Many, many. Like I really played it. I really started getting into a groove and really enjoying it. But you're right. It doesn't move. It's like compared to Sinistar, this is a game that just slugs along. It's just a little crawling game. And I kept feeling like when I would slam into something or I would get shot, I would think, oh, like, or I'd see it coming. It's one of those games where you're getting fenced in and a bunch of bullets are coming at you. (laughs) Down the corner. Yeah, you sort of know you're going to die before it happens. But every time because of that, it did feel fair. And I felt like, oh, if I could have just focused, I, I could do better. So I kept 
bringing me back in. I think that's an example of really good game design that way. So I, I dug it. So that's that's where the addictive quality comes for you. Very much so, yeah. Like this was a game that kept motivating me to think if I could just pop in another virtual quarter, um, then you know, just hit that hit that pretend coin button one more time, I, I could I could maybe do better. <laughs> um this this game reminded me the the movement, you know, it's the okay, so as you're playing, your ship sort of moves back and forth across the close to the bottom of the screen. I don't know that you can mo- actually move all the way up to the top and and the the ground below you scrolls down uh which by the way the background is actually one large 1024 by 2048 image that simply scrolls by oh cool. um yeah so and each each of the game each of the 16 game areas is a 224 by 2048 strip of that image um and you start at a different horizontal horizontal offset in each area um it, this felt a lot to me a lot like uh do you remember those the 1941, 42, 43 oh, yes. style games. Um, it felt like that sort of a game, um, only a lot slower. It is, you know, you're right because it's a basically a vertical scrolling shooter, so it's the same sort of idea. And you're, yeah, you know what? Now that you say that, I totally see. See, uh, other than instead of water being below you, there's a South American landscape floating by. Right, exactly. And the Peruvian areas, those little <laughs> yes. Nazca lines and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah but to- totally that sort of – yeah, very good. What I liked about the game um, was the – well, first, I liked all those tanks on the ground that were just sort of sitting ducks and wouldn't shoot back at me. And they were just there for me to get higher scores. I like that <laughs> about those tanks. Thank you for just taking my bombs. Right. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. And I liked how you can – you can lock on with with your little bomb thing, so you can lock on to, to squares and stuff. So I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. But I also liked how because the ground is terrain, you could anticipate the path that the the ground level forces would have to take. You'd see them and say, "Oh, he's going to have to go up there and turn left." So you could send bombs to where they're going to be. It did it didn't feel random that way. So I really liked that, and I also really liked that. And this was something that I read was intentional by the designer. I should look up his name again. It was um, uh, oh, I'm going to give it a try. Masonobu Endo. Okay. That's my my guess of his pronunciation. So what Endo wanted was he found it kind of silly that in a lot of, especially space-type games or flying games, you'd have these formations of enemies that would dive at you and basically try to just smash into you. And it didn't make any sense. So he intentionally designed this game so that the enemies would come at you, shoot, and then run away. Like, they'd turn around and go the other way or they'd go off screen to the side. Like, they wouldn't be just, you know, throwing themselves into death at you. Um, so, I, And I liked that about this game. It did make it feel a little more realistic. So... I, I I really dug the programming here. It turned out that this guy um, was one of the first people to really call himself a game designer because and and he it was like one guy who made this game. He he did the programming. He he came up with the design. He did the graphics. He did all of it. Like he he was completely this one guy's game. Very very impressive. Wow. Yeah. He went off to form his own game company after this when he left Namco called Game Studio, which I guess is still around. It has a bunch of hits. Of other sorts of games, like a lot of RPGs and MMORPGs, MMORPGs, but I haven't played any of them. Um, but there was one called Tower of Druaga. I guess that sounds pronounced, which is another really big Namco hit. But I'd never even heard of it before. Have you played Ooh. that one? I've not. No, oh. that's that's news to me. Yeah, it was like a whole world of games I haven't played and names I can't pronounce. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, but I guess he's like a big name because like this this thing he he made a whole backstory. Like there's a novel he wrote. Wow. Um, th- with the backstory of like what's going on here. Like we've talked a bit about how like 
uh, Donkey Kong would introduce the idea of a story in a game. Well, here's a guy like the <laughs> next year saying, I'm going to write the novel of what's going on. Like there's this whole story behind this. I guess what's supposed to be happening is in the future, there were these um, these things called, oh, what were they called? I had looked it up. I can't remember. No, uh, Gamp, I think it was. Uh, oh, it's killing me. I wish I could remember what it was called. Anyway, there's these things called Gamps that are, Artificial intelligence is used for slave labor, and then they revolt, and they leave Earth, and then like 100,000 years later, there's going to be some so, sort of ice age or something, so they come back like to the Earth runner. to attack. Yeah, and so they come back to attack, and you're in a ship that finds out, hey, they're coming back to attack, and so you and another AI that's against the rebellion get in the ship, and that's that's what's going on here, is like you're that that fight and and all these things are emerging from the ground at the control of the ai like i didn't really get any of this from the game itself but i'm reading like supposedly that's the backstory here and then there was you know a, what that that actually yeah. sounds a lot like a battlestar galactica T- totally where the, where the cylons went away and then came back and attacked and that that's what's going on they ripped off this game <laughs> that's right so yeah i didn't know any of that like i just knew of wow. it as a vertical shooter i didn't know it was this massive story of what's supposed to be going because you don't really get a plot from playing the game you just shoot stuff, right? At least I yeah. just shot stuff. Well, yeah, there's there's no story background given. I mean, no, you're just in there and you're shooting things, and, and, and then getting shot by them, and dying dying really quickly, <laughs> or running or slamming into those little rotating walls. Yeah, these rotating. Um, I, I don't. I guess you didn't get that into that part you were saying, but there are these no. parts where these there's just sort of these gray walls in the air that are rotating so it's a really cool 3d effect but they're also in your way <laughs> like, like move <laughs> rotating walls and you can't shoot you gotta just like avoid them um and i kind of like the look i i found it really interesting that the ground is nice and colorful and stuff but i liked that the enemies either air-based or ground-based were essentially this almost uniform gray spotted with lights of red and stuff and i found it it, it was an interesting look to it, and it really made them stand out against the colorful background. Instead of having, like normally this time, if you have a bunch of alien enemies, they're going to be all different colors and stuff. So I thought this was sort of tastefully done. Yeah, I think uh, Endo did a really good job making use of all 256 colors. Mm-hmm. And um, being I... so colorful and with such a colorful background, but being able to always see the enemies really easily. Mm-hmm. So, yep. which is a, yeah, a hard never, thing to balance, I think. I was never searching for the enemies or, or right. you know, wondering how I got killed. <laughs> yeah. So again, like, yeah, really, really good game design. I mean, it might have kicked our butts, but I think this is a masterful bit of coin-op game designing. Yeah, I, my biggest problem. I, I tended to to take try to take uh, refuge in the corners, and that's that's never a good idea. No. In this game, <laughs> you get pinned down there, and and it's it's slow death. You can see it coming, and you can't get out. <laughs> <laughs> So some more trivia about this, which mm-hmm. um, I don't think either of us would have played long enough to realize, but there are 26 different enemies in this that you fight. Wow. So massive variety of, of stuff to, to battle. And um, they have this idea that, like I was talking about how the enemies don't try to ram you, and which is, which is really cool, but they also react to your behavior. So if you kill a whole bunch of a certain type of enemy, they're coming and they're the easiest, the AI sends fewer of those and more of other things so it's sort of like it's a real battle guy who says oh wait no those aren't being effective at the moment let's send a different sort so it'll it'll swap the enemies around to make it which i thought was really interesting and then there's also this thing called a zolbak which is the these little detector domes i don't know if you saw those on on the ground and if you blow those up then the nearby enemies um basically become a lot less aggressive and stop shooting because they're kind of supposed to be controlled by those and i guess if you read the novel you're supposed to know that (laughs) 
<laughs> but it was news to me. I, I just blew up everything. I didn't really notice that if I blew up some things, other things became less aggressive. I was just shooting stuff. So you could actually do a lot better if you do research on this game before you start playing. Yeah, before you play any coin-op game, you're supposed to sit down and read the novel in Japanese. <laughs> It's the only way to get good at this, Mike. The novel you... and the manga. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you... Actually, there was a full anime series about anime movie based mm-hmm. on the this whole Xevious thing. Like, there's yeah. this whole Xevious world, I guess, because there was not only spin-off games, but there's this whole plot and the story behind it. And I really just knew of this one thing, you know, Vertical Shooter. I didn't know about the whole background to this game. Yeah, it was it's all... like a, there's a, a big culture around this game in Japan. Yep. Yeah, I guess it was this massive, massive hit in Japan. And hmm. and then when it got ported onto the Famicom and stuff, like, those were huge hits. Much, like, it was, it was a big hit here in North America. Like, I knew it and played it and stuff. Sure. But I guess not nearly as big as it was there. This was a, a massive cultural thing in, in, in Japan, I guess. like Or not cultural thing, but a huge hit mm-hmm. in Japan. So... Yeah, and in fact, you, you'd mentioned the Famicom, but the game was also ported to all three versions of the Atari um, console. Um, oh, like the 2600 and the... 2600, the, the 5200, oh, 50, and the 7800. So what's the one between the 26 and the 78? The one I didn't <laughs> yeah. ever have. Well, and each one got its own version, um, rather than just having you know the 78 and the 5200 being able to play the 2600 version. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I uh, played the uh, 7800 version. It was actually really good. I remember okay. that one. Yeah. Okay. It ended up on, uh, as you pointed out, the Nintendo Famicom, the NEC PC Engine, uh, Sony PlayStation got it, the Game Boy Advanced, uh, the PlayStation 2, Xbox, GameCube, PSP, the Wii, the Xbox 360, the, the holy Nintendo holy. DS, the PlayStation 3, um, and then pretty much every computer platform you could think of as well. Um, Atari uh, 800, Apple II, Tandy, Fujitsu, Commodore 64, Amstrad, Atari ST, uh, Sinclair, the PC 9801, uh, MSX2, Microsoft Windows, and a couple of versions of the Sharp computer. That is bonkers. You, yeah. know, what's, you know what's ironic about that? Xevious hmm. was the first game, first coin-op game in North America to be advertised by a TV commercial. I was not aware of that. And the slogan was Xevious, the arcade game you can't play at home. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like the big launch to say like that's because by then, you know, home systems were so big. So when it came out, it actually was advertised on TV. And then after using that slogan, got ported to everything you could possibly have at home. <laughs> that's hilarious. When I played, like, like I said, I played the uh, Atari 7800 version. And I think I played at least one other on a home computer system. And while I really liked the 7800 one, I didn't like the home computer one I had played. But even with the 7800, one of the problems was most of these ports, they were ported to a 4x3 screen, like your computer monitor or your television. And as you'll know from just having played this, the arcade version is a tall, skinny vertical shooter. So mm-hmm. when they go four by three, it limits, it's sort of like they've truncated it so you can't see as far ahead. And it makes the game a lot harder to play. So it's actually easier to play this game in its original aspect ratio of a nice, tall, skinny screen. Interesting. Yeah. Other than you who wants to hide in the corners, then you well, know, it doesn't matter what the shape of your screen is. If you're just going to tuck yourself in the corner and cry like a little girl, Mike. That's just pretty much what I did the whole time. <laughs> Why are you killing me? Uh, so I take it you did not you did not play long enough to find the the um, secret message Easter egg. Well, I found a couple of little things. Like at the very very beginning, if like you immediately you jump off to the right and fire your blaster, you can reveal the name of the of the guy who made this game. Yes, that's the one that I was talking um, about. But that's right at the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. But you can get that in 20 seconds. But I okay. didn't uh, I didn't actually see it, and I didn't actually do it. I just read about it. Ah. <laughs> so, Cheer. <laughs> totally. Well, yeah. And there's a lot. We talked about how there are, like, we talked last week, how there's Easter eggs. I think I had intimated that I thought there were. And it turns out there are. There's, like, yes. little places that you can, when you're doing your lock-on, you can lock on to what appears to be an empty screen and then if or an empty square. And if you then bomb that square, you'll reveal, like, a hidden tower. You get a bunch of points. And if they, you then destroy the tower, you get a bunch more points. And you can also do the same thing to reveal flags like you would find in rally x those little little flags you get a whole bunch of points or sometimes a free man for for getting those i didn't reveal any of those (laughs) even after reading about them i didn't find a single one yeah it it looks like and i'm again just reading from the main file here that these the four flags were rather difficult to they're lies to get to (laughs) you don't think they're there at all Uh, they probably are i don't know (laughs) <laughs> well, whatever the case, this is definitely a very involved game. I mean, there's there's a lot more depth to it than, than I had assumed when I just started dropping quarters into this game 20, 30, 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that this was a good choice from a, from our Facebook um, suggester, um, whose name escapes me at the moment. Mr. Facebook. Yes, that's the one. Although I think um, we only have a few fans on Facebook at the moment, and it seems fewer than even those that send us feedback. Oh, we saw, we forgot to talk about feedback this week, but we'll we'll get to it. And um, I think if I really liked though that somebody suggested a game, so like, well, we've selected our game for next week. I think if listeners have games they'd like us to check out, like their favorite game or they have a story behind them or whatever, Facebook would be a great way to to tell us. You know, you go over there, you can like it, you can leave a little message, and and sort of let us know. Because um, we don't have a forum or anything, so but on Facebook would be a good place to to let us know if you've got a game suggestion for us to to yeah, get I, our butts kicked by. I think we're up to nine likes now. Oh, they uh, like us. <laughs> nine people, <The> burgeoning community. <laughs> well, I do know that our um, well, our bandwidth usage would say that we have a lot more than nine people. <laughs> oh, were they? <laughs> but, oh yeah, we're we're okay. chewing through bandwidth for this wow, podcast, which crazy. is good though. It's it it's lovely to hear that people are downloading, and that that's great. So I'm gonna have to switch over our. My Amazon S3 account just went through the roof, though, price-wise. Oh, so we're going to have to deal well, with that a little if, bit. If you, need, if you need contributions, I'm sure I can help out uh, with that. No, we're, but, we're all good. All that's right. what's, that's, I'll get us a sponsor. Okay. Or but so. not everyone enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the idea of suggesting the game beforehand so that they could play along. In fact, uh, I believe Egan Ford wrote in with an opinion about that. Egan Ford? What's yes. he got opinions about? Fried eggs and hamburgers? Why don't you tell us? Oh, since you have his email in front of you. (laughs) I do. Let me switch over to that. Um, Yes, he did tell us about free. Is he the guy with the eggs? Yes. Egan, (laughs) we were talking, I think it was last week or the week before. The shows run together. When were we talking about Burger Time? Uh, I don't know. A couple um, weeks ago, we yeah, record like sort that. of, to let the audience know, we record like middle of the week. We record It's Wednesday. all a blur of eight, but color. show comes out Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. So it, I guess it was two shows ago. We were talking about burger time that you picked and I got destroyed at. So, <laughs> and we were saying how, what's with the fried eggs? And I guess that's a thing in Japan. And he says, it's not Japanese. It's just awesome. So I guess, that's, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Thank well, you I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> and he also, he wanted to know where our site is. Like, where's the show site where you can find show links and that kind of stuff? Yeah, you Look, we have no show links. What do you want from me? That's so right. to explain, you, we do have a site. You can go. You can find to, our uh, show links on Google. <laughs> on Wikipedia. That's right. There's our show links. Um, uh, no quarters of Monster Feet podcast. So over at monsterfeet.com is where you can find like the links so you can subscribe and get back issues and that kind of stuff. But I recently switched over the Monster Feet hosting from Squarespace to something that I'm just 
uh, creating myself. And because of that, the back end is a little, you know, just it doesn't really post a lot at the moment. <laughs> I was focused <laughs> on making it pretty and we don't have a lot of nice. So coming soon, you know, give me a month or so. Um, we will eventually have more show links and things. And I have collected them all. So I will back post them. So eventually they'll all be there and they will be embedded in the MP3s, that kind of stuff. But right now the, uh, the back end site that I've written just takes the MP3 and throws it on there with, with our high scores. And that's all you get. So, so in other words, in order to get these links in the future, they're going to have to listen to these shows again. No, they just have to bookmark the monsterfeet.com site and then just keep going back every single day. <laughs> it. That sounds like a good use for everyone's life. Uh, he also sent us some suggestions. Like he, okay. he suggested, and I had a bunch of people uh, uh, direct message me on Twitter saying the same thing, that they kind of liked it just us giving the sound and not revealing the next week's show. Now, we just switched to this method where we reveal the show so i think we should stick to that this time but if if oh, the only feedback we've gotten so far i think is people saying don't tell us what the show is like just yeah, play it I, so I, we only had one person suggest yeah well up to up to this we'd only had the one suggestion to to give give us the game so we did that and we hadn't had anything else yeah so so far all my response all the responses we got is negative so far it looks like so <laughs> They um, hate so us. <laughs> well, if anybody prefers it, prefers us letting you know so you can play ahead of time, then let us know. Other than, otherwise, it would seem that um, the listeners would rather us not say the name and just play the sound and leave it for a, a puzzle for next week. So Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, yeah. depending on the feedback we get this time and maybe another time or two, we'll make another decision about right. that. Um, but in the meantime, we have decided on next week's game. Well, um, we're not there yet, though. Hold on. I'll quickly do a shout out to Eric Nielsen. He wrote in to defend Pac-Man on the Atari 2600. Again yes, with this. keeps coming back. It, like, and his point, and I think well made. But this is isn't that, even a console podcast. It doesn't matter. We're talking <laughs> about it. It's the people. The people want to talk uh, about it. Fine. So he's saying it was one of the earliest games, and it took time to master the system. So well, we're right that very recently a a much better version has come out for the Atari 2600 that and and while the 2600 hasn't changed it takes a long time to master sort of like that it, it got the gameplay but it takes time to master the graphics tricks and that kind of stuff and if you compare like later 2600 games to early ones even compare like Ms. Pac-Man to Pac-Man you see how people were were learning that or Custer's Revenge <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Quality um, stuff there, man. Quality, quality game. See, Defend the thing is, that. I think Eric is just taking Quinn Dunkey's side because she's cooler than us. So <laughs> well, you don't fool hard. me, Eric. I still say that game sucked. So screw, yeah, so, screw you all. I am putting a moratorium on uh, Atari 2600 Pac-Man. No more talk about that. I say that's everyone it. write in and let's talk about it. No. Have, it. We'll have a spinoff podcast. I'll throw you right off the show. Just shelf. called 2600 Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> so okay so have we have we covered Zevius in in we, um, we we handled I, the ports I think so. yeah. we talked about how it's awesome that the the enemies don't try to ram you but we haven't answered the question the big question always uh, the the memorial arcade so if we're if you're setting up your own arcade system and you can only have 2025 20, games or so does Zevius make the list I think it does yeah um i think the the grand showcase the the main hall in my my castle of arcades castle um, yes my arcade castle it probably won't make that one but but i i think it'll make the carrington wing <laughs> is that a, a disreputable boy it is it's yes. all you, dusty you, yeah you, you can go in there and play games but you might get stabbed the games take 26 cents just yeah. to be annoying <laughs> 
Well, yeah, you, I'm sure you remember the days of going into real arcades. You know, you had the you had the nice ones like Aladdin's Castle and things that were well lit and and, and you, pizza and beer and whatever, and it was safe. And then you had those, the sketchy one down in the, the dark corner of the mall where the games were kind of beat up and you might get stabbed. Absolutely. In fact, I also remember right near the tail the tail end of arcades. You could go into an arcade and there'd be like the big area that's all well lit with all the modern games. Look at mm-hmm. this. And it's got this new fighting game, you know, Super Fighter right. 19. And then there'd be like an area in the corner or off the side that'd be like the classic games. And they're all like worn down and stuff. <laughs> and But those would be the games I would beeline for right. even then. But yeah, so there was the uh, the A games and then the, oh, God, we still have these games. Yeah, so I think for me, this one is definitely a B game. What about you? Um, I like it. It wouldn't, I think... You know, I really did enjoy playing it this week, and I think I could do better. Like I said, I, the game feels fair to me. I think it's a game that would actually reward multiple playing. I, th- I think it's a game I could so game, get good at. The game teases so, you and, and makes you think you can do better and draws you back in. And I really like the graphics. Like, something about this, it's it's just, it really makes the most of the resolution that's there. Like, it's a really beautiful-looking game. It's simple, but I it's agree. really yeah. nice-looking. Um, so, so, you know what? I'm going to say it just, just squeezes in. It's not it's no Sinistar, but it definitely, it definitely <laughs> uh, squeezes in. So, I'm... I'm going to say it makes the grade for me as well. I really liked it. Great. So what about next week, Mike? What have um, we got that could possibly compete? Is it Sinistar <laughs> Revisited? Are we going back doing more oh, Sinistar? Oh, no. We are never, oh. ever going back to Sinistar. <laughs> you disappoint me. Never, ever, ever. But we have another game that I'm sure will be familiar to everyone out there. What We've, does it sound like? It sounds like this. So I'm sure that everyone already knows what this is, and the game is Frogger. You told. I oh, did. Yeah, yeah, no, I think we'll stick with that for now. Right, it is Frogger. Frogger is one of the the, the big ones. I mean, we're going back. Oh, yes. I know it's uh, it's about as big as a, as a game can get, I think, name-wise. Yep. It's, um, well, not everyone knows about Frogger, but <laughs> I know number about Frogger. Two or whatever. That's right, yes. Right. <laughs> um, I was telling you uh, a bit before the game, and I'll save the story for next week. Folks, but I first played Frogger on a boat, so I'm going to have a story about Young Carrington on a boat playing Frogger. Can't wait. Uh huh. <laughs> so no, that's it's really not much of a story, but it's, it's kind of all I got. <laughs> okay. Um, and time for us to go play Frogger, I guess. That's right. So we'll see you next week, everybody. We will indeed. Thanks for podcasting with me, Mike. Thank you, Carrington. I'll talk to you soon. All right. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, all the original material in this show is released to the public domain. <laughs>